Going back in a time machine, it's often good to look at where exactly uh, potential rivals lie in. The new enemy or the enemy we knew or did not knew, know now. Uh, yeah, it sounds weird. But anyway, the uh, 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 NTD channel, which I've been quoting from today extensively on Twitter and Facebook as I look around and see what is going on. We look at America's next enemy, China, which is what is being reported by most people. And what are their internal problems and struggles and issues? First of all, our corruption, lockdowns, incredible dissatisfaction by people, and of course, a policy that the youth in China are taking, which is basically protesting by just not doing anything. They just lie down. Uh, it's kind of like planking, but it's a planking protest where people are just laying down and not doing anything because they don't like what Xi Jinping is doing in some parts of China, particularly the lockdowns that they feel are totally unnecessary and are only causing hardship. NTT in China, or uh, the uh, People's Republic's other China, which is the Republic of China, which has no people, uh, no, has less people, I guess. That's why they call it the Republic of China. It's actually um, what many people call democratic China on Taiwan. Well, the majority of people, if you ask them if they're Chinese or Taiwanese, they will tell you they're Taiwanese, uh, has their own opinion about what is going on. And their reporting is pretty clear as to what exactly is happening in the mainland, as they like to call Red China or Chai Kong, the Chinese communist variety. Let's listen in as uh, we hear what is happening according to those people keeping an eye on it in China and Focus, which is a channel I will put the links to in the show notes. Keep it here. Okay. But then go there and listen to them. Has been charged with hate crimes. The church in Orange County is known for its support of Taiwan's independence. Let's hear more. Orange County prosecutors have accused 68-year-old David Wenwei Cho of hate crimes. He allegedly killed one person and wounded five in a shooting at a Taiwanese-American church on May 15th. Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes characterized the shooting as a politically motivated hate incident and specifically targeted the Taiwanese community. Barnes said Cho left notes in Chinese in his car stating he did not believe Taiwan should be independent from China. The Taiwanese Presbyterian Church is known for its support of pro-independence causes. Authorities said Cho opened fire on a lunch gathering. Dr. John Chung fought back and was fatally shot. Five others were hospitalized but survived. A visiting pastor pushed the gunman to the floor, then, with the help of other parishioners, hogtied him using an electrical cord. Prosecutors added hate crime enhancements against Cho for each of the five counts of attempted murder. According to court records, Cho could face the death penalty if convicted on all charges. He has not entered a plea. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. Shanghai residents are standing up in protest of repeated virus-driven lockdowns. Another demonstration happened on Tuesday in the city's large suburban Minghang district. Residents and pandemic control workers were seen pushing against each other from either sides of a barrier. Residents won a brief victory and managed to get out of the area which workers had cordoned off. Soon, a large number of enforcement workers in uniform arrived on the scene, eventually sealing residents back into their residential communities. 
Many in the city have voiced despair over the situation and say they can no longer stay in Shanghai. Here's what one taxi driver had to say during a carpool. Please contact me if you want to go back to your hometown in Huainan City, Anhui Province. Four seats are available. I'll go back to my hometown. He said he can no longer survive in Shanghai. They lock us down constantly, seal this residential community inside today and lock that down tomorrow. They told people to resume work in production, but people are all sealed inside. How can they resume work in production? Who knows when there will be a lockdown again? People are afraid. Shanghai authorities announced two new COVID-19 infections had been found as of Monday. Because of it, they designated large areas in the city as mid-level risk zones for catching the virus and launched another widespread lockdown. Even residents from nearby communities outside these zones are mandated to get tested for the infection regularly. COVID-19 tests for all once a week. It always feels weird, like being stuck in the middle. Work resumption is half done, half resumed, half closed. They need COVID-19 test proof everywhere. Test results from within 72 hours. Shanghai authorities claim to have lifted lockdown measures earlier this month. But a number of restrictions and lockdowns in some areas are still in place. Wang explained that 14-day quarantine is still mandatory for intercity travelers, paid at their own expense. He added there's still a long way to go until the city gets fully back to normal. No, we listen to that guy, Chris Caffey, Cask and Purpose. He's one of those YouTubers who really has a really good show, a really good show, a very big show. Uh, not like mine, which basically is this blind guy talking into his iMac and trying to sound very officious every now and then, although he does have 30 years of media experience where the other guy's an average infantryman. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, the average infantryman, uh, Chris Gaffey, talking about it on task and purpose and how China may not have the capability to invade Taiwan even if they wanted to, at least by American standards. But what China can do is commandeer every ferry boat, ship, and most of the world's merchant marine that basically ships everything out of China and just ram it onto Taiwan. And then suddenly they have more cargo capacity and sea lift capacity than NATO, the United States, and Japan combined. So let's listen to Chris Caffey and how he looks at a potential invasion of China may come in a non-traditional way using commercial vessels in order to take over the breakaway province, as the Chinese like to call it. Let's listen in. Surely now it must be time to wake up General Miley and inform him of the shocking Chinese military threat. Or is it? For instance, you may not know that China's navy has a major sea lift problem. What good is having millions of troops if you don't have the naval transports necessary to ferry them across the 100 mile long water obstacle that separates China and Taiwan? The United States Department of Defense and Taiwan's Ministry of Defense both agree that China currently does not have the amphibious lift capacity needed for a major beach assault. If we take one of the most generous estimates of the lowest possible number of troops that the PLA would need to ferry across the water to invade and occupy Taiwan, based on past wars, it would be one soldier to every 100 Taiwanese citizens. That means that China would need 250,000 troops on the low end for an invasion. 
Considering the fact that China right now has a total of 80 different landing vessels, it seems like a physical impossibility to transport that many forces. Only three of the landing ships are the advanced Type 75 transports, which can carry 9,000 Chinese soldiers, 10 amphibious vehicles, the rest are a mix of smaller vessels, including the Type 72, which can either carry 250 fully equipped infantry or 10 main battle tanks. Take your pick. By struggling to calculate some of the simple math using my average infantryman brain, even I can see that China can only sea lift approximately 50,000 troops and about 1,000 tanks at a time. The United States China Economic Security Review Commission creates an annual report directly to Congress and the President. They're an authoritative source on estimating the threat of China. This group of 12 people have tremendous influence and sway over the U.S. defense policy towards China. Listen to what one of their commissioners, former U.S. Senator Talent, had to say. They're increasing the pulse of their naval shipbuilding and they're really trying to build up their amphibious capability. So we found that they have the amphib capability to land at least 25,000 troops. Only 25,000? That's six times less than the amount that they used for D-Day. And they didn't even have to deal with cruise missiles then. Now what happened next in their meeting is kind of crazy. They opened the floor up to anyone any constituent, citizen, or journalist who wanted to ask them a question. Um, I have a, just a question. Are we not going to war with this situation, are we? Because China is pretty powerful. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I will turn this question over to one of our um, uh, security expertise. I edited none of that. That actually happened. But it's a great question. Are we actually going to war with China? And are they really that powerful? If China had near-term nefarious intentions, you'd think that they'd be investing heavily in building new naval troop transports to fix this sea lift problem. However, according to the DoD, they've not made it a high priority to manufacture these types of landing ships, even though they clearly have the ability to do so. Over the past five years, the PLA has rarely conducted amphibious landings above the battalion level. These are facts that the media often conveniently ignores because no one clicks on that article, no one subscribes to that channel, except you, thank you. Don't worry though, if you're looking for doom and gloom, I've got your back. The way China is actually choosing to invest their naval defense money could be seen as much, much worse. Xi Jinping instead chose to create a long-range Type 003 aircraft carrier and Type 052D destroyer that would give them an advantage when it comes to attempting a blockade of the entire South China Sea. China would only need 62 battleships plus fighter aircraft to block the U.S. Navy in the region, a move that would avoid a costly war with the U.S. and could still force reunification with Taiwan by basically holding them hostage, like the very kind of pirates that they claim to want to stop. But there's one problem with this theory. China might be getting creative. They started to convert their civilian ferries into troop transports. Yes, that might sound insane. If you picture me riding on a Long Island ferry transporting an M1 Abrams tank, but China's civilian ferries are over twice that size and would actually be perfect for the role, according to an article written by Thomas Shugart for War on the Rocks, where he painstakingly went through the process of analyzing United States nation data and records of China's shipbuilding data to determine how much of a difference these civilian ships would really make. It turns out a whole lot. It would give China an extra 1.5 million tons of transportation ability. This would bring them to about the same capability as the US military Sealift Command. So a successful amphibious assault of Taiwan may still be in the cards. 
But how do we know what China's true intentions are? Is there any way I could peer into Xi Jinping's heart and know what he truly desires? For clues on their intentions, analysts look at how they spend their defense money and they work backwards from there. Figuring out China's true intentions are so important that each year Congress mandates the Department of Defense to create a fancy book report that explains to them what China's military is buying and what Xi Jinping is fantasizing about. If we zoom in on the bottom right of the front page, it says it costs $185,000 to create this report. It's created alongside the US military intelligence network, and it's the most authoritative content on the subject. For that amount of tax money, it better tell us what Li Xingzhu's commander of the People's Liberation Army ground forces favorite ice cream flavor is. So what exactly does the report tell us about China? To put China into context, it's only about 2% larger of a landmass compared to the United States, but its population is four times the size at 1.4 billion people. It's located in Southeast Asia with a coastline on the Pacific Ocean. They have contested and sometimes violent land border disputes with Nepal, Bhutan, and India, which means that they still have to worry about diverting military military resources to internal defense. So I've been watching a lot of these episodes that have been coming out from, say, groups like Epoch Times TV, China Uncensored, and they've been basically saying that the Chinese military, while in the midst of a major buildup that made their Navy larger than the United States, has major problems. You see, of the three assault ships that China recently built, almost as soon as one was ready for deployment and training, it caught fire in the shipyard in Shanghai shipyard, rather. And at the end of the day, people are wondering how that happened. What was very strange is a few months later, another Chinese ship in a shipyard in Shanghai did the same thing, leading to some question. Is this something that is a quality control issue? Is there a problem with what China builds for its Navy? It is now the world's largest combat fleet. Don't get me wrong, 600 ships in their Navy and more. But what is very clear is that many of these ships aren't quite as good as their counterparts from other countries. We're not even talking about the United States or Great Britain or France. We're talking about Korea, Japan, Russia, India. The quality of the Chinese-made ships have had problems, and it stems from the steel being used. It also comes from the problems with the designs. At least two Chinese destroyers have had to be brought back to port, Type 55s, because of major cracks in their hulls. And this is just moving around minor sea lanes. Aluminum superstructures have had major issues with rips, where portions of the aluminum superstructure have suddenly just torn open due to movement at sea. Of course, that's to be expected. China is just starting its major refit and rebuilding. But let's listen to some of the issues that have to do with corruption as raised by China in focus and China Uncensored, two internet programs that have been greatly hampered in their ability to bring out news about China and its Navy and its modernization and the waste of 
people's resources in China due largely, they claim, to corruption. But it's something also Chris Cappy over at Task and Purpose has talked about. We'll listen to all three of them, starting with this from China Uncensored. In March 2014, former Chinese General Xi Zhuzhang was officially charged with embezzlement, bribery, and misuse of state funds. He had given $3 million as a bribe to another general's daughter as a wedding present in exchange for a promotion. This system of promotion through bribes extends down to the lowest ranks. If you're an average infantryman in the Chinese army, there's a good chance that your platoon leader or battalion commander is there because they paid for the job, not because they earned it. And this is going to cause all kinds of problems with discipline among the ranks. Xi Jinping uses corruption as a political weapon as a way to keep their generals loyal to the party. Since Xi took office, he had over 1.2 million officials investigated and 100 PLA general officers placed under investigation, of which the majority of them were his political rivals. In the RAND organization's paper on China's incomplete military transformation, they point out that the PLA has a zero external oversight or accountability whatsoever on how they spend their money, unlike NATO countries that are required to have some kind of civilian and congressional oversight. Two out of the five of these senior corrupt officers oversaw logistics and supply, which calls into question just how effective China's logistics systems really are. Chinese prosecutors set up a mass text hotline where soldiers could give tips or rat out anyone committing corruption. They got $444 if it led to a conviction. Corruption investigations doubled within two weeks. Xi Jinping instituted a major reorganization in 2015 that saw the bloated army downsized by 300,000 soldiers, which took five years to successfully pull off. It also consolidated him as the head of the entire military organization. They moved some of their forces around so that there's more focus on the Navy and Air Force and missile defense to rebalance their branches. Before 2015, they only had 12,000 Marines. That number has risen to 65,000 Chinese Marines since then and is set to reach over 100,000 by 2030. The problem is, China and all authoritarian forms of government tend to favor centralization of authority. This is a very inefficient and slow process in the military. The recent defense reforms by Xi Jinping are directed at making the PLA the armed wing of the CCP. They've mandatory unit political training sessions. I can only imagine how much fun that would be in the US military if we had to sit there and praise whoever the current president is and five hour long briefing about how magnificent the party in charge is. The Chinese military actually has Chinese Communist Party cadre attached to their military units at every level to keep an eye on everything. The political commissar is second in command and responsible for making many complex military decisions that have political consequences. Commissars help decide how to engage with a rival American vessel on the sea, even though they have very little military training. This could explain the odd confrontational or seemingly irrational moves made by the Chinese warships that Western military officials originally thought was the behavior of rogue Chinese commanders. But this isn't reassuring. It means that the Chinese Communist Party is deliberately making the decision to have their destroyers sail dangerously close to American warships. Political commissars help ensure the troops' loyalty to the party, but at the cost of slowing down decision-making and confusing command and control. It's an antiquated form of command left over from the Soviet Union that the Chinese learned from the Soviets and have kept on holding on to ever since, even though the Russian army has long since abolished this system. In China, this is not seen as a problem holding their forces back, but as a benefit. 
The reason for this is because of a Chinese officer named Sun Lin Jin. He's the only military officer who was educated in the United States, and he was a Chinese military hero who opposed this system and suggested, hey, maybe we shouldn't have party officials looking down our shoulder. He was then arrested and charged with a conspiracy. These are the kind of fun games that you get up to when you have no real war going on. In fact, China has no Pew Pew experience. China's military hasn't seen a major combat operation since 1979 when they invaded Vietnam. And according to Western estimates, they suffered over 26,000 KIA in that time. Does the average infantryman in China have the grit, the chutzpah, the vigor to actually fight? This has nothing to do with them not being combat tested. There are plenty of examples in the history of newbie armies winning. The Chinese military relies on 800,000 conscripts who serve for a period of two years. Not the kind of troops who can necessarily fight and win wars as Xi Jinping's stated goal. Open source US military reports indicate that the discipline in the PLA is terrible. The leaders of each branch fight to protect their own vested interests, which are colloquially known as iron rice bowls. Am I allowed to say that? It's a term that means they have guaranteed job security, even if they're incompetent. This coupled with corruption destroys discipline in the ranks. The United States has a first island chain policy to try to contain China's influence. Last year, they approved $27 billion of spending to create missile systems all along this chain. China, on the other hand, has invested heavily in anti-access area denial, or A2AD technology. They've purchased Russian S-400 anti-air missile systems. All of this is designed to create a protective defensive bubble to stop any military from getting close to their coast. This bubble has slowly been getting bigger and bigger, where it now includes Guam, where US troops are located. But the problem is a lot of these missile systems that China has aren't necessarily able to hit a moving target yet because they don't have the necessary tracking information to hit a US naval vessel moving at 30 knots. By China's own internal estimations, they won't be on par with the United States until 2041. Keep in mind China has a policy of downplaying their capabilities at every turn, unlike Russia. It's part of their strategy to make us think that their military is worse than it actually is. For all of their strengths, I believe there is twice as many weaknesses that still need to be sorted out. 